0: Chapter 22, Guardian Angels. Rocky peaks rose to our left. The Adriatic waters glimmered to our right. The road hugged the mountain, curving gently with it and making for spectacular views. For the first time in months, I took off my jacket and enjoyed walking in the warm sunshine. We arrived at our destination late in the day and, practicing our new Croatian words, asked for the church. We walked in the general direction we were pointed to until we arrived at the base of some large, wide steps. I looked up, trying to see where those steps ended, but the setting sun temporarily blinded me. In the glare... A small figure appeared high atop the stairs, the light of the sun casting a halo around its body. I blinked several times at what looked like an angel hovering above us. And I stepped back. Talk of wizards and aliens was making me edgy. The figure descended and I could finally see that it was a girl of about 10 years. Her chestnut hair fell gently around her shoulders and framed a lovely face. I greeted her in Croatian. She smiled and returned my greeting and then shyly turned away. Alberto and I started up the 30 odd steps, but halfway through stopped and turned around. To my surprise, the little girl was a few steps behind us, but this time with a similarly beautiful girl of about the same age. I smiled and waved at them. They raced towards us. What is your name? I asked slowly in English. Ana Maria, answered the first girl we saw. Oh, you understand me, I said. Yes, she replied happily. I am learning English in school. This is my friend Tania. Alberto and I introduced ourselves. The girls shook our hands, giggling. Can you please lead us to the church, I asked. They nodded excitedly and led the way, all the while whispering to each other. By the time we arrived, the sun had set and it was firmly dark. Parishioners milled about the church entrance and we saw the priest unloading boxes from a car with the help of two young boys, Tanya and Anna Maria marched right up to him and began to speak, pointing at us. The priest distractedly glanced our way, and so we approached. Ascertaining that he spoke Italian, I began to explain our needs while he continued unloading his car. I didn't know if he was paying any attention to us and truly wondered if he had heard what I had said. Look. "'I am extremely busy right now,' he interjected in irritation. "'I cannot help you. Try a hostel.' Discreet whispers of disapproval sounded among the crowd, but the priest took no notice. "'Please, let me explain,' I tried again. "'We started in Rome two months ago. "'We have slept in convents, in monasteries, "'at times even the house of the priest.' "'The house of the priest!' he scoffed, cutting me off. Do you expect me to let you sleep in my home? I don't think so. I don't even know you. I'm, I'm trying to explain. I continued feeling quite flustered. Stop, Alberto said with authority. We are leaving. For the first time since we had arrived, the priest stopped. He locked eyes with Alberto, clearly surprised. But the moment passed and he returned to unloading his car. He barked some commands and then walked into the church. Everyone followed him. Anna Maria and Tanya brushed past the crowd towards us, their eyes filled with concern. Thank you for everything that you have done, I said, kneeling to look at each one in the eye. I hated to see their worry. You are two special angels, I continued. Always remember that you not only helped two strangers in need, but two pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. We will never forget you. The girls reached over and embraced me. I held on to both of them tightly and kissed each on the cheek. Alberto leaned down and did the same. I turned and quickly walked away, weeping. Alberto placed his arm around my shoulders. But where will you sleep tonight? I heard Ana Maria cry out in the darkness. Her words seared into my heart like a flame. Mustering up the courage to sound lighthearted, I turned and yelled back, Oh, don't worry, we always find a place to sleep. With one last wave in the darkness, I hurried away and never looked back. Alberto lightly caressed my head, trying to console me, but I was inconsolable. I cried until I was spent, until all the frustration worked its way out of my being. Alberto suggested we try the only hostel in town, but it was sold out for carnival activities. We tried several other places that we were directed to, but in the end had to face the reality that there was no place for us to sleep in this town. Looking at our map, we saw that the nearest town was four kilometers away along the coastline. We agreed to continue ahead and to search for possible camping sites along the way. At 7.30 in the evening, in complete darkness, we began our slow march. I silently begged for help and recalled the many moments when it miraculously appeared. I saw Alberto, wiping away a tear, and heard him whisper, "'Please, God, help us. "'If I really am the wizard you keep telling me that I am, "'then why can't I change this situation?' "'His eyes searched the heavens. "'I believe,' he said, sounding angry and clenching his fists. "'Then, in a barely audible whisper, I heard, "'Please, God, I believe.' A long chain now blocked our advance. Dangling from it was a sign bearing the words, Private, do not pass. Where are you going? A man's voice called out in English, frightening me. We peered into the darkness. Fishing boats rocked gently in the bay, while others lay discarded along the shore. A wiry older man, sporting a sailor's hat and a cigarette dangling from his lips, stood behind one of the boats on the shore. We are looking for a place to sleep, Alberto answered. You can sleep in any one of these boats here, he proclaimed, waving his arms about. That's what I'm doing tonight. We both shook our heads. No, thank you, Alberto said, adding that we were just trying to get to the next town. The old man took a deep puff of his cigarette, studying us. Stay on this path along the water and you'll get there, he said, and disappeared into his boat. We continued ahead, following his directions, ignoring another sign that said prohibited. The streetlights ended here. Beyond us was nothing but darkness. We agreed to press ahead and pulled out our flashlights. The path wound through an increasingly industrialized area. Heavy machinery and cranes towered above us. Large shipping boats stood like impenetrable walls. We realized we were in a port, but the path cut through it. We followed it cautiously, but it ended all too soon at a set of train tracks. The situation seemed to be going from bad to worse. Do we go back? I asked Alberto. There's nothing for us back there, he replied in agitation. I ignored his tone and quietly followed him along the train tracks, stepping through a black, muddy gunk that squished under my feet. The smell of oil and solvents filled the air. I walked in Alberto's steps, trying to prevent the gunk from reaching my ankles and wondering how this night was going to end. A long steel mesh ramp now appeared. It flattened out into an overpass that floated about 10 meters above us and that seemed to stretch out indefinitely. I started up the ramp cautiously, testing my weight on it. It felt solid, and so I motioned for Alberto to follow me. The ramp was wide enough for one person, and higher and longer than it looked from below. We walked quickly, bright lights now partially illuminating our way. Several hundred meters later, our detour abruptly ended about six meters above the ground. The only way off was down a narrow steel ladder of about 15 steps that was encircled by a thick metal spiral. I stared incredulously at this scene, not knowing whether to laugh or cry. Pressing his body against the ladder, Alberto gingerly made his way down to the ground. My backpack was wider than his, and I was afraid of getting stuck inside the metal spiral. Alberto climbed halfway up and took my backpack as I carefully made my way down the slippery steps. Our hands were black. Alberto's jacket was smeared. He angrily cleaned it with a wet towel. I had seen long ago that Alberto was scrupulous about being clean, and I knew that this was difficult for him. The overpass deposited us back beside the railroad track. Beyond it, we could see the waterside path. But blocking our access, however, was a long train that was parked exactly where the ramp ended. We looked for ways under and over the train, but it was hopeless. We began to walk towards the end of the train. A dog began to bark loudly. I tensed. About 50 meters ahead, a man stood in front of a small building, his flashlight beaming out into the darkness. It was clear that he was the night watchman, and we were trespassing. Mierda. Shit, Alberto exclaimed. This is just perfect, I griped. I hope Croatian jails are warm. We approached slowly, saying hello in every language we knew. The man pointed the light at us, but did not respond. I couldn't make out his features, but he was an older man, possibly in his 60s, dressed in a uniform. Unable to pronounce what we were doing in Croatian, I turned around so he could see the sign on my backpack. The man stared at us quietly, his face expressionless. The dog, a small terrier, ran circles around us, barking incessantly. The man motioned for us to follow him. We followed him inside the dimly lit building and into a small room that had cramped into it antiquated furnishings, a corner table, rickety chair, a sofa bed with a brown wool blanket, and a bar fridge. A movie played on the small black and white television. We sat on the bed and he on the chair. I pulled out the list that Vlado had prepared for us, searching desperately for any words or fragments that would explain our situation. The man gently reached for the list and silently examined it. Pointing at us and using hand gestures, he asked where we were sleeping. Responding in a mix of sign language, Italian, and some words from the list, we attempted to explain what had happened in town, throwing our hands up in a sign of resignation and pointing in the direction of the next town. The man maintained a calm that was threatening to unnerve me. Finally, he stood and once again motioned for us to follow him. Alberto and I exchanged nervous glances. I didn't know what he was going to do. He could justifiably call the police since we were trespassing. But I was so emotionally exhausted at that point, I didn't care what happened to us. I just wanted to stop moving. The guard led us out of that building and into one nearby that the darkness had kept hidden. He turned on the lights. The abandoned feeling only accentuated the coldness of this neglected space. He led us down a corridor and then opened a door. The smell of sweat and grime was overwhelming. Empty cans, discarded tissues, and rumpled pieces of paper littered the floor. Oil and dirt mixed to create a filthy layer that coated everything. The windows looked like they hadn't been cleaned in years. Two makeshift beds peeked out from under several dark blankets. The man pointed at the beds, then at us, and made the sign for sleeping. I stared at him in disbelief and began to sob. Alberto started doing the same. At that moment, the filth disappeared and all I saw was shelter for two weary souls. Together, Alberto and I reached over and embraced the now shocked man. He backed out of the room slowly and I thought he was going to run away. But no, moments later, he was back. This time with a space heater, which only brought on even more tears. The poor man stood there looking distraught, wringing his hands, not knowing how to comfort us. He led us by the hand back to his room and eagerly motioned for us to sit down. He opened the fridge door and emptied its contents onto the table, gesturing for us to eat. But I was too upset to eat. He cut up some bread and some cheese and handed them to me, which only made me cry harder. Singing rang out from the television and in English the words sometimes you just need an angel repeated as part of the chorus. I could barely breathe from the emotion that racked my body. The distressed man momentarily left the room and I heard him speaking on the phone. I used that time to compose myself and to stop crying. When he came back, we finally introduced ourselves. The man pointed to himself and said, Micho, Michael, like the angel that he was. I pulled out some of the photos that Vlado had given me and showed them to him in an attempt to communicate. He lingered over the one of Medjugorje and I immediately gave it to him. He smiled happily and lovingly kissed the picture, embracing it close to his heart. I wished I could have given him everything that I owned at that moment for his single act of kindness. A young man arrived, and an Italian introduced himself as Donald, a friend of Micho's. Finally able to express ourselves, we explained everything to Donald, who translated it to the increasingly amazed Micho. Shortly after, Donald's girlfriend arrived with her mother. She spoke English, so I was able to communicate even more fully the depth of this incredible gift that had been bestowed upon us. Donald explained that Micho could neither read our sign nor the note that we had given him because his eyesight was poor and he didn't have his glasses with him. I thought he had helped us because we were pilgrims walking for peace. But the truth that he had helped two strangers in the night was even more incredible. Joy radiated from Micho. He clapped his hands and spoke enthusiastically, all the while looking at us with the same wonder that we looked at him. Finally, the group stood to leave. We hugged everyone in turn. Donald's girlfriend reached into her pocket and pulled out a small porcelain figure of an angel. I had no idea why she would be carrying an angel with her, but it was the most precious and perfect gift, proof, as if I needed any, that angels were indeed among us that night. The next morning, we stood in front of the building with Micho. The light of day broke slowly through the gray fog. The path started right at his doorstep. We repeated the word Huala, not knowing how to say anything else and wanting to say so much more. The gentle sparkle in Micho's eyes told me that he understood. Micho cupped Alberto's face in his hands and gazed lovingly into his eyes as a proud father with his son. Alberto's eyes watered and they embraced. My never-ending tears surfaced again. Micho embraced me, gently stroking my hair. When he released me, he reached into his pocket and pulled out his wallet, but we gently pushed it away. He searched his pockets and I could tell he wanted to give us something, but the value of what he had given us transcended any physical object. His humanity had restored our faith and that gift would remain with us forever. We will never forget Micho, our guardian angel. That incident left me more convinced than ever that angels were walking with us, making things happen. That day, Alberto and I left behind his camping tent as a demonstration of our faith in them.